I want to uh, continue on this morning as I thought I was going to finish up last week on choices, but I have one more message, and I think this will really, really finish it up. I, this is really it. This is like one big conclusion. <laughs> but, you know, there's so much to talk about when it talks about choices because we are given such a powerful um, nature in our choices. And this is something that I think that we constantly need to keep in our mind what choices are and the significance. And we started speaking a few weeks ago about the vast number of choices that we have every day, that, that we make every day. And most of those thousands of choices are, are morally neutral choices. They're the choices really that aren't heaven or hell. They're just, do I have the same color socks on? I don't think God cares if I have a blue and a brown sock on, but I think my wife might care. Or if, I, if my clothes match, or... But it just seems like so many of these choices we have lead us all, however, to our character. If I want to make a good, solid, biblical choice that is God-centered through those big choices in my life, like who I marry, what's my vocation, you know, what, what house do you want me to live in, those are big choices. If I want those choices to be godly, then I need to make up the little choices that make up the big choices. I can't expect to live a bunch of uh, foolish living in all the small choices and expect God to come through then in the big choice. And so many times our little choices build really the character of who we are when nobody sees us. Those are the choices that really um, build the character. And we talked about the, the, on the morally neutral side of things, the good, better, and best category of living. If I want the best life, I need to make the best choices. Come on, let's just recognize that. I can't get a best life if I make just a good choice. I can't get a best life if I make the better choice. The only way I'm going to get to this life of, of the best, most fulfilling life is to make the best, most fulfilling choices at all levels. I, I can't skip levels. I have to just be consistent in that. And then we talked last week about um, the importance of love and how godly love is made up of choices and how the emotions and the choices, how they combine and to make love. And, and basically, worldly love is emotions and passions that lead choices, whereas godly love is choices and commitments that lead emotions and passions. See the difference? Godly love says, I'm going to choose to do something, and then God brings the emotions along with it. And the enemy, in the way he twists things around all the time, will take it backwards. And he says, okay, now let's, you make your decision based on your, cho on your emotion, on your passion. And whatever that is, then make your choices that line up with your emotions. And God says, no, there's some, there's some laws I have in place. So choose the good things. Choose the law, and I'll bring the passions and trust him with that. So that's kind of where we've been so far. And then today I want to speak about one more one more aspect of choice in the most impactful way that it really is. And I'm going to make a statement right now that I'm going to have to explain because many of you will look at this and say, Mike, you're wrong. The most powerful force in the universe is the power of choice. The most powerful force in the universe is the power to choose. Uh, this may seem like I'm slamming God here. This may seem like I'm saying that my power to choose is more powerful than God. But as we explain throughout this day, I pray that you'll understand and you'll see it that not that way because God, first of all, 
established it this way. He gave mankind the ability to choose. Mankind did not steal it from God. Did not rob from God when mankind has the power to choose. And how significant that power is it doesn't take away from God's character at all. It doesn't steal anything from God. So therefore, the premise of today's lesson is the power of choice. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, would you help us now as we try to unpack this and as we try to understand what this really means? Lord, I pray that the word comes clear and I pray that no one's confused. But Lord, I pray that through this that we will see how important it is that we choose properly and we choose correctly and we choose the best things in life, which is you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I have, a, I'm gonna, I have a PowerPoint that's going to kind of help us maybe get through the lesson today or the, the message today. So, Larry, if you'd throw up slide one, I would appreciate it. This is, this is the way it kind of started off um, about 6,000 years ago, that God established a relationship between man. How many? Yeah, just a few years ago. Yeah. Uh, and, and when we look at this, we recognize that that we're going to see who God is. God is love and God is light. And we can go to the scriptures to back that up. I'm not saying anything. I'm not making this up. This is what the scripture says. God is love and God is light. And when he made Adam and Eve, um, when he made Adam first, he made Adam different than any other creation. Everything else he spoke into existence. He spoke light. He spoke plants. He spoke animals. He spoke water. He spoke everything into existence until it came to man because he wanted a different relationship with man than he wanted with a dog. Okay? So the Bible says that in Genesis 2, 2 um, verse 7, it says, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground. I can see now God bending down, getting a pile of dirt. You know, and kind of pack, like we make sandcastles, you know, and just kind of forming it with his hands and forming out the, the shape of a man, you know, and, and, and he's just, you know, a half-mounded man thing, and he's got a form of a man. And then here's the most important thing. And then he said, and then he says, he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. God formed man out of the dirt. And then he bent down and he breathed. He gave mouth-to-mouth resuscitation and he breathed into the nostrils of this dirt life. And he made us that way in his image. His image is not, he doesn't look like my face. Not that image. We're talking about the spiritual image of man. We are in the image of God spiritually and eternally. Because when he breathed into man, he gave us eternal life. He spoke life into a dog, and a dog has a life, but when a dog dies, the dog goes to sleep. There's no spirit there. But when he breathed in the man, he gave us his eternal life. And he built us that way for a relationship. So now, when I look at the relationship that I have between God, it's a two-way street. God's relationship now is coming from God, who is the light, and the reflection of God, which is the love of God, reflects off of man back to God. See, man does not have our own light. We are, not the, the, we, are, we are not our own light source. The source of light that comes from me is not from within me. It is a reflection of God's love back to God. And that's the relationship that Adam and Eve had in the garden in a perfect state because there was no hindrance between this relationship. There was no 
nothing that stopped God's love from, from hitting them and then the reflection back to God, and that was a perfect exchange of relationship. That's what God wanted. That's what he established. And his purpose was to make that for eternity. Adam and Eve were created to live forever in that perfect state of existence. All right? Now, with this different relationship comes a different responsibility and an avenue of love called choice. Larry, would you go to slide two? Here's what happens now. God gave man the power to choose to have a hindered free relationship or not to have a hindered free relationship. And this power to choose is called sin. All right? And the way God did this is that he established a tree. Of all the trees in the garden, he established, well, two trees, but we're talking about the tree of, of, of good and evil. Okay? And he established this tree, and he says, you are free to eat from every tree in the garden besides this tree. Let's read that. Genesis 2, chapter, 15, chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Boy, there's that word work. comes right at the beginning. To work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. So God established a boundary. He established a rule that we would then prove our love to God or prove our choosing God by obeying that particular rule. That it, It's our way to show God that we're choosing him back because now we are obeying his rule. But let's, read, let's keep on going with the story and see how the power of choice plays out here. Go to Genesis chapter 3. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from, the, from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Now, let's stop here just for a minute because there's some warning signals here that we should be able to uh, put into effect in our life. First of all, some of the things that were kind of strange here was that Eve was, was alone here in this conversation. Um, Adam showed up later, but right now it's just Eve having a conversation with a snake. <laughs> now, a serpent. Uh, now, that seems kind of weird for us, but let's not worry about that right now because maybe there was talking animals at that time or who knows. But the point is, Eve was at a place here where she probably shouldn't have been. Think about it. She's got all the trees in the garden to be around. Why was she next to this tree? I've got to imagine the garden was pretty good size. Pretty big, spacious garden. Why was she next to this tree? See, and this comes up to the little choices that we have in our life. Maybe there was something in Eve's life that was working up to this moment by making the little choices to be someplace where she, should, where she shouldn't have been. If she would have been over on the other side of the garden, the furthest away from this tree, then Satan wouldn't have had the opportunity to tempt her as directly as this. But she was right there for some reason, right by that tree, alone. 
Warnings, warnings, warnings. Be careful where you are. Be careful who you're with. And be careful if you're alone or not. The devil loves to separate you from the flock. He loves to separate you from protection, safety. She shouldn't have been alone, probably. And she shouldn't have been by this tree alone, especially. Warnings, signs in my life, too. And I play with fire all the time when I say, how far can I get to the world, God, and still be a Christian? How close can I get to that tree of temptation and still be your lover? Boy, dangerous place to be, guys, because when you do that, the enemy is very deceptive. And he'll come with you, not with a direct temptation possibly, but does God really say you shouldn't do that? Does God really say why? Why does God say that? And all of a sudden you find yourself in an argument, in a discussion that you shouldn't be in in the first place because you're in a position of being at the wrong place at the wrong time with the wrong company. If we just protect ourselves, choices, big difference, okay? I'm sure that as time went on after this happened, I'm sure she went back many, many times in her life regretting the fact that she was ever there, regretting the fact that she ever allowed herself to get into that position. And if she could have changed up a few things, she probably would have. But how many times then do we possibly do the same things? Let's continue reading. Verse 7, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees in the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid, and he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? All right, now what did this do? Larry, would you go to the next slide? What happened here? At this moment in time, God didn't change. Notice that God is still love and God is still light. He didn't change a bit with Adam and Eve's choice to sin. But what happened to them? See, a big barrier came up all of a sudden, right? A big blockade came up, and God's love is still emanating. His mercy, His grace is still emanating. His light, His love is still emanating. But this thing called the power of choice to sin stops it from hitting the man. And what happens to the man? All of a sudden, he turns to death. He's black. He's now death. And that's the fall of man. What we just read, that's a a picture of what it looks like, what happened. All right? So there we have a problem now all of a sudden. It's important also to recognize that God is the one that created the conflict of choice, not man. It was God's idea to give mankind choice. It was God who made the rules about there being one tree that they couldn't eat from. God made that rule. It was God that established the consequence of disobeying the rule, namely death, not man. These are God's rules. God set this up. God orchestrated this. He gave man the power of choice, and then he also established the power of the consequence to go along with the choice. None of this is man's idea. I, no man, Adam cannot take credit for this or take anything to do with that because it's totally what God did. God established it. See, up to this point in time, Adam and Eve didn't see themselves as naked. When there was no hindrance here with relationship, they just saw themselves as, as pure. 
pure and holy before God. They didn't see themselves as anything but that. But as soon as the power of choice opened their eyes, all of a sudden they look and say, ooh, I'm naked. I'm naked now because I chose to disobey God. And with that now comes the guilt and the consequences thereof. And, and now everything just spiraled downward for them because that choice to sin broke that relationship that God has established. So therefore, I'm comfortable this morning making the statement that that choice is the most powerful force in the entire universe because that wasn't God's idea to break it. It was man's idea to break the relationship. God didn't change. God's still there. Man's choice, his power to choose, broke it. God didn't break it. God just set the rules up. Man's choice broke it. All right, now let's fast forward a few thousand years to where we are today. Larry, if you go to slide four. All right, about 4,000 years after that or so, God's redemptive plan comes to bear. All right, so now God chooses to bring a plan back to mankind so that we can have a way to have relationship back with God. And this is where we're at today, the cross. Jesus Christ's um, life, his death, his resurrection gives us a path back to God. All right? And this is where we're at today. And, um, and I want to be, be clear, first of all. I, I want to make sure that, that nobody, un, nobody misunderstands what I'm saying about the powerful choice that we have. See, God's power is to create and destroy. God is all-powerful. Right? But when he gave mankind the power to choose, he didn't give us the power to create. I still can't, I'm not God here. Don't, I don't want anybody to think that I'm, I'm promoting a, a, a new age religion to say we're all little gods. No, we're not. We're just, we just have the power to choose to destroy, but not the power to choose to create. With every choice I make now that doesn't magnify the Lord or glorify the Lord is slowly allowing death to enter into my life and I'm destroying it. So um, everything that God has power to do, he creates life and he has the power to destroy. Me, you, Satan, any created thing that we have, God, Satan has just taken that very powerful choice and he's twisted it and he's distorted it into something that brings us destruction. Make sense? I just want to make sure that nobody thinks that I'm saying we're all little gods because we're not. But let me go back now. So now choice destroyed the relationship. And now choice is required again to reestablish the relationship. Choice destroyed it. And now it's going to take choice to reestablish it. And I say it because it says so in the Bible. Romans 10 9 through 10, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Mark 16, 16, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. So there's that power of choice. It's the power of choosing what God has established that saves us, not just the fact that God prepared the path, to salvation that saves us. Because I say that because of this. If I look at this, today, here God is, hasn't changed a bit. He's still 
giving us love. God is still love. We hear that all the time, don't we? God is love. Yes, He is. God loves all mankind. Yes, He does. It's all about God's love, and His love is there, and it's shining on us. It's shining. But there is a thing called the cross here that according to 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18, it says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Even though God gave us the path to those that are perishing, the cross is a stumbling block. 1 Corinthians 1.23, But we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to jewels and to foolish Gentiles. So just because God created the path means nothing until we use the power of choice to reestablish the connection. All right? Larry, go to the next slide. This is what happens. This is what happens when we choose to apply the cross to our life. All right? All of a sudden now, that connection is reestablished. That connection to God is reestablished with man because now, if you continue reading in verse 18 of 1 Corinthians, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So now when I choose to apply God's protect, his, his provision to me, when I choose to apply that, his blood to me, my choice now reestablishes the relationship because I've chosen to let the power of the cross be effective in my life. And now... I've moved from a man that was death to a man that is radiating God's love again. Again, God's love is radiating. So now, this is the amazing part. Because what was once dead, or once was once in darkness, is now alive. Ephesians 5, verse 8 through 8, 10, it says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. For the fruit of the righteousness in all goodness and righteousness and truth and find out what pleases the Lord have nothing to do with fruitless deeds of darkness but rather expose them. So now what people see in me as a Christian man is not my goodness, not my righteousness, nothing to do with how good of a man I can live morally. When they see Jesus Christ in me, it is just like the sun and the moon and earth. Okay, let's just take another little analogy here. The sun is always shining. And as the sunlight shines on the moon, the moon is nothing but a blob of, of, of dirt. It, there's, no, there's no energy in the, in the moon. There's no power in the moon. It just reflects what comes from the sun. And as it reflects off the moon to earth, I see the moon. And that's what it is with Christ. When I walk in a dark world, and I have the light of Jesus shining on me because I've received him by my choices. I've received him to be my Savior. The light of God now reflects off of me into the dark world. And that's how I can be the light of the world. I'm not the light of the world because I have it within me to do that. I have the light of the world only in me because Christ bounces off me. Because I am the life because of what happened on the cross and because what I chose now the light of Jesus shines out through me to the lost world. And that's why I have to be in relationship with God so that that light constantly shines. I have no, I take no credit for that. I can take no credit for that. It's like this morning I took a little white pill called a high blood pressure pill. I have a modest high blood pressure. And when I take that pill, 
All I'm doing, I'm obediently taking the pill. A doctor says, Mike, take this pill once a day and your blood pressure will be under control. I take the pill and I have nothing to do with it. I lose total control after I've chosen to obey and take the pill and all of a sudden my blood pressure stays normalized. Same thing with Jesus. I choose to accept Jesus Christ in my life and then what after happens for there, all the blessing that comes out of that, all the, all the, the work that comes out of that is not my doing it. I'm not responsible. I can't take credit for that. No more than I can take credit for how that little pill brought my blood pressure down. I just have to obey in my actions. And as I obey in my actions, some things start to happen. What happens here? Since the light of God now is actually reaching me, I am a reflector of that light into the darkness around me. Make sense? It's not me they're seeing anymore. It's Christ. They're seeing, the, they're seeing the love of Jesus in me. John 12:46. I have come into the world, this is Jesus, I, am come, I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. Again, we are, we are reflecting the love of Christ out into a dark world, not by my own action, not by my own self-righteousness, but because... I am reflecting the love of Christ. I am bought with a price. I am no longer my own. I am not my own person anymore. And this is, this is where I think that, that we have to realize that this is not the time to relax and be complacent now. Many times that once we think we get, that once we recognize that we're saved, all of a sudden people can have the mentality to say, oh, okay, now I don't have to do anything. Well, we're going to keep talking about the power of choice here and how the power of choice keeps us in a good relationship with the Lord and good relationship with people because as I love people, remember what we talked last week about love and choice. Basically, when I say I love Jesus, I'm really saying I choose Jesus. And when I choose, when I love people, I'm saying I choose people. Again, this power of choice just uh, infiltrates all of our life. The second thing that happens here is for the first time now in my personal life, as a man, I have a new relationship established with God that wasn't there before. Now, now in this role right here, now I can be called a child of God. If I went backwards and, and if I was allowing the, the cross was still there, but if I wasn't choosing to allow the cross to be impactful in my life, I'm not a child of God. I'm not a child of God. Even though God loves several people, he loves me. But I'm not a child of God until I choose to accept his redemption and I choose to reflect his love back to him and back to people. Then I become a child of God. Romans chapter 8, starting at verse 14. For those who are led by the Spirit of God, or those that choose to be led by the Spirit of God, those that choose Jesus Christ, are the children of God. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought, brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father, Daddy. Most passionate way I can call him my father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we also may glory in his, or share in his glory. So now my power of choice now, 
allows me to pass into an adoption process to be called the Son of God. And this is where the world just has a problem with that. Because people like to say, well, God is love. God loves all people. God would have that no one, none would perish. That's what the Bible says. But just because God says that doesn't mean that that's going to override my power of choice to receive that. And I must then have that choice. And as soon as we start talking about the working aspect, you know, let's go back to the very first passage I read. When man was created in the garden, what did God establish him to do? To work the garden right now. But yet today we call work and Christianity as a problem because most people think that as soon as we start talking about working, we're talking about working our salvation. That we are work-based salvation. Well, can I tell you right now, there's no such thing as work-based salvation. Because you cannot become the salvation through works. That's a misnomer. There is no such thing as as work-based salvation. But yet... As a Christian, I am to work. Let me give you another example. Um, I'm, uh, a, a, I hope to be a, a decent freshman basketball coach, <laughs> girls basketball coach this year. So, so here when, or when you make the team player, you finally get on that team. Zach, this is pertinent for you because you have made the team at Ferris. Okay? You are going to be on the team. Now, does that mean you can stop working? What does that really mean to you, Zach? Yeah, this is when the work starts, right? Because just because you're on the team doesn't mean now that you can slough off. It doesn't mean that this is now where you, this is the time for you to eat bad food and to not work out and not listen to the coach and to do your own thing. No, because you're on the team, this now qualifies you to have a right to work. This qualifies you to have a responsibility to work. Not to, not to earn your team. You're already on the team, Zach. You're already there. You've already signed a letter of intent. I mean, you're going. So we're not talking about your work now to get on the team, but you're working as a result of being on the team. And that's what Christianity is about. And this is where people lose it so much because they think, oh, you're talking about working out your salvation. No, I'm not talking about that. I'm already saved. But as a result of my salvation, now is when I go to work. Now is when I really need to, to, to emphasize the work, not to gain my salvation, but as a result of my salvation. And unfortunately, the devil plays there too much in the life of people, doesn't he? Unfortunately, that happens too much for people because they, 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 they stumble over that aspect. They stumble over the fact that we have responsibilities. So there's a third thing that happens here. While we were still in our state, if you go back up a slide where we're still, the cross, the cross is still a stumbling block to us. If we're, if we're in, still in this state here, we're still in a spiritual state of death. Even though God has given us the path, we're still in a spiritual state of death. But when we exercise the power of choice to accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, my life now is opened up to the life-giving power of God. In other words, now I can ask of God and I can expect to receive of God because I'm a child of God. James 4, 
verse 2 says, you do not have because you do not ask God. And then when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity with God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. So you, do not, you don't think choices are important? You don't think there's power in your choices? You see, when we have that relationship with God and when we have that, that, that life-giving relationship, I can go to Jesus and I can ask him. And he says, you don't have because you don't, because you don't ask. Now, when you ask, let's check your motives. Why do you want that? Why do you think you need that? Let's check your motives, but, but I will give you these things. We don't have because we don't choose to ask. Then we, re- we don't receive because sometimes our motives aren't right. But the power to receive from God is, is not because he isn't able to deliver. Understand that. When we ask God something and we don't seem to get it, it's not because God doesn't have the ability to deliver it. Maybe it's because we're not asking and we're not choosing with the right motives. Come on. Let's look at our choices here. This isn't self-condemning. This isn't self-fulfilling prophecy. This is just checking my heart. Am I afraid to ask? You know, quite often when we have body ministry times, we, we encourage that. We say, folks, if you don't ask, you're not going to receive. If you don't submit yourself to God first, you're not going to receive. So we need to ask you. You need to ask God. James 4 a little bit further in that same chapter, in verse 10, it says, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Power of choice. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. As I make the choices, he will be faithful to deliver on his promises. The power of choice. The power of choice either will provide us a way to put ourselves in proper position to receive the multitude of blessings. Oh, a number of sermons ago, we talked about the, the number of ifs in the Bible. Some huge number, 1,500 or maybe more. If you do this, God will do this. If you do this, God will do that. The power of choice is in our hands. Not to manipulate God at all but just to obey him and obey his rules so that now I am authorized. I'm, I have the right to expect God's blessing. I have the right to expect his provision in my life because, because I'm on the team, because I'm a child of God, and because I'm choosing to continually obey him. So this morning... Are you choosing God? And I, the, the thing I like about these messages this, today is that I'm not, I'm not out to make a big altar appeal. This isn't out to just to make Sundays the big day. Really, I hope that you learn from these so that every day you walk in a life of cho- choosing. That you walk in a life tomorrow morning when you wake up. That, that you wake up in the morning and say, Jesus, I choose you today. God, I choose you and my love for you. I'm choosing to obey you. I'm choosing to read your word today. I'm choosing to um, put myself in a position to qualify for your blessings. That doesn't mean God, if God doesn't bless me because I'm making a bad choice, again, that doesn't change who God is. God is God. He's sovereign. His love is never-ending. I just want to be able to choose so that I'm in relationship 
It's all about relationship, isn't it? It's all about relationship with Jesus. And as I choose to continually put myself in a position of relationship, then he says, ah, I'm pleased with you, my son, my daughter. I'm just going to pour blessings upon you because I'm in relationship and because you've chosen to be in relationship with me. Choice broke relationship. Choice is required to reestablish relationship. The power of choice. It's amazing. God gives it to you. He gives it to me. But it's for me, for my life, for you, for your life. I can't choose your life for you. You can't choose my life for me. So as you then put act on the power of choice for you, that's the most powerful thing in your world is your choice. Amen. Father, we thank you for that. Lord, we recognize your omniscience and your omnipresence and your omnipotence. All that you are, you are unchanging. You are love. You are light. Help us, Lord, to reflect you back to you and to everyone around us that we would be the light in, the, in a dark world, that we would be the, the, the lamp that would lead others to you based upon our actions and our choices to receive you and to allow you then to work in our hearts and our lives. So this morning as we sing a song that Jackie's playing, I just want to give you an opportunity to examine your heart and your life this morning. And uh, if there's anything in your life that's hindering you, if you want to just come right where you're seated or come up to the front or wherever you are comfortable at. But I think it's appropriate and, and timely that we just double-check the choices in our hearts and our lives. Double-check the priorities that we have. Are we really choosing Jesus first? Are we, is he really the center point? Is he really? And I think that that's appropriate question to have. So... Let's sing the song and just examine your heart and we'll pray.
Father, we just come before you, Lord, as we go to our homes now, as we prepare for this next coming week. God, I pray that our hearts would be tuned into your choices. Lord, that we would be sensitive about that and that we would examine our daily activities, our daily priorities, Lord, that we would never leave you out of them, that we would always make you, God, our number one choice. And that as we see the significance of these daily choices, how small they may be, yet how they accumulate to be who we are, and that we really want to be pleasing in your sight, Jesus. We really do. We really want to be a light into this world. So, God, I pray that you somehow would give us the, um, the ability to do that through the power of the Holy Spirit. We submit ourselves to you. We surrender ourselves to you. We are your servants, and we, be, and we, we become your bond slave because we love you. Be with us now throughout this week. I ask this in Jesus' name.